Welcome to the next episode of Unlocking California Politics. Today I have with us Jennifer Speck, who is our CAR's lead lobbyist on homeownership housing issues. And we have Kareem Dreesey, CAR's lead lobbyist on investment housing issues. Welcome. We had a number of investment housing and rental housing bills this year, many of which would have been very damaging to small property owners and to investment housing. Can you discuss some of those bills which you had to fight against? Sure. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to be here today. And yes, we faced uh, many threats this year in the legislature. CAR did, realtors across the state did. Um, and really, of those bills, um, I would say that you could really put the bad policy proposals that we saw into two categories. Um, I think for, first and foremost, I would highlight uh, zombie bills. Uh, zombie bills is an, an, an amusing term of art uh, that we see uh, up here in the Capitol that basically refers to a bad policy proposal that's introduced. We defeat it. It's introduced again. We defeat it and so on and so forth. Um, and this year we saw several zombie bills. And one that I'd like to highlight in particular is AB 2469 by Assemblymember Wicks. Uh, this particular bill, this is the fourth time that we've seen a version of this bill. And it would have established a mandatory statewide rental registry um, so that housing providers throughout the state would have been required to provide at least a dozen pieces of information about their property and submit that information on a periodic basis to the state. And if they failed to do so, they would be unable to raise the rent and they would also be unable to evict a tenant, even a tenant engaged in criminal activity. And so CAR was successful in defeating that proposal. Again, it's been introduced four times in four years. We've defeated it every single time. And so kudos uh, to our realtors who are watching and listening today because they really made a difference. Um, another bill that I'd like to highlight, which is also a zombie bill, and I'd really like to highlight this one because we've seen a difference this year in the type of zombie bill that we see. And this is what I like to call rapid fire zombie bills. So a zombie bill is introduced, we defeat it, and then it pops up only a couple months later instead of waiting until next year to resurface. Mm -hmm. um, and that particular bill is AB 854 by Assemblymember Lee and Assemblymember Carrillo. Uh, that bill would have undermined the Ellis Act. Uh, for those watching who are unfamiliar with the Ellis Act, uh, the Ellis Act was a private property rights bill uh, that was sponsored by CAR back in 1985 uh, that basically uh, made certain that housing providers could go out of business. Uh, prior to that, there were some local governments that were prohibiting housing providers from going out of business. Uh, this bill, the, the Ellis Act, uh, put into place a mechanism whereby to ensure that housing providers did have the ability to go out of business. AB 854 would have undermined the Ellis Act. We were able to defeat that proposal back in January of this year. And then shortly thereafter, about less than two months later, Assemblymember Lee and Assemblymember Carrillo put that bill language into another vehicle. It resurfaced as AB 2050. And again, we were successful in defeating that proposal. So that's an example of the type of rapid fire zombie bill uh, that we're seeing uh, in the legislature. And that's a new trend that hasn't that hasn't happened uh, in prior years, uh, at least to that extent. So that's one category, zombie bills. The second category that I just want to briefly mention is an ongoing trend that we're seeing where bad policy ideas from the local level are bubbling up to the state level. And so a key example of that, and this is the bill that I'll finish with, is AB 2710. AB 2710 by Assemblymember Ash Kalra. This particular bill is basically a statewide version of COPA. Uh, which is uh, basically stands for the uh, Community Organization Opportunity to Purchase Act. Uh, and it's a bill that surfaced in many localities throughout the state. 
This is the statewide version. And basically what AB 2710 would have done is it would have prohibited housing providers from selling the residential real property unless they first offered it to a slew of nonprofit housing corporations throughout the state. Meaning if you're trying to sell, let's say a residential, a piece of residential real property in San Diego, you know, there's a working family that lives down the street. They want to buy their first home, the opportunity for home ownership. And it, and you can't sell it to them because you first have to offer it to nonprofit housing corporations in San Francisco and in other parts of the state. It was uh, really a terrible bill and we were able to defeat that proposal. Um, and so that's another type uh, a bill that we're seeing where these bad policy proposals on the local level are bubbling up to the state level. And CR has been successful in defeating bad bills in both those categories, both zombie bills and um, also defeating local ideas that are bubbling up. Would it be fair to say you expect, I think those are three bills, all three of those return next year? <laughs> I, I think I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. I And I think um, for our uh, listeners who are not in rent control areas, you, you you mentioned the Ellis Act, and in particular, to me, that's an especially egregious um, weakening that law is especially problematic for property rights for everybody. While it only affects rental um, areas where there's rent control, it affects all property rights because basically what you're doing is forcing somebody to stay into business, which is particularly outrageous. Yes. And to me, the analogy would be if Safeway needed to go out of business because they can't make money um, the area that it's not working out for them. It would be like the state going, no, you can't close. You have to have a full inventory. We don't care. You're losing money. We're going to force you to stay into business. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to take over. We're not going to use eminent domain. You're just forced to take the loss. And it's especially problematic for our smaller investors. And, and so keep, keep fighting the good fight there, uh, Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jennifer, you primarily work on our home ownership uh, issues for the California Association of Realtors. Let's talk first about um, the more positive side of our agenda um, in terms of building housing supply and home ownership. Uh, what were some of the good things we did this year? We actually had a banner year with the housing supply activities that the California Association of Realtors participated in. Specifically, I'd like to point to some of our sponsored legislation and sponsored activities. Uh, AB 2170 codified the Federal First Look Program, which allows owner-occupants or those that are seeking to owner-occupy a home the opportunity first to be able to put an offer in and purchase a single-family home that's been um, a, a returned to a bank. So our REO properties, once again, can go back into home ownership as opposed to the investor-owned uh, portfolios, where then we no longer see first-time homebuyer opportunities being available Uh we saw in the last downturn in 2008, um, groups like Blackstone and other large-scale REITs, which have now been renamed to Invitation Homes, being able to uh, expand their portfolios and be able to have the opportunity to come in with all cash, competing with homeowners. Um, Fannie and Freddie and the federal government had decided that this was a bad idea. Um, after several years of, of seeing our first-time homebuyer stock um, being decimated for investor ownership, which means those units are now rental as opposed to being owner occupancy and building the wealth and equity of our underserved communities. Another monumental breakthrough that we had had was in the budget this year. Mm -hmm. uh, shockingly enough, uh, CAR only started playing in the budget space about a year ago, looking for more down payment assistance to help get families into home ownership with uh, rising interest rates, the rising cost to purchase housing. Um, we're seeing um, a boon in the amount of costs that it take, takes in order to be able to, to become an owner occupant and the state really is interested in trying to facilitate those opportunities. We partnered with the Senate Pro Tem, who took a leadership role this year, 
uh, once again on housing. Uh, she's been a, a leader since her initial election and when she was the Speaker of the Assembly. But uh, this year she pioneered the California Dream for All program, which we were elated to work with her on, which will provide up to 40 percent of equity sharing opportunities for families. These will operate like a silent second uh, where when you sell or you refinance, 20 percent of the equity in the home will be uh, put back into the program to help facilitate more loans for other families that meet 150 percent of the area median income. Uh, what's important is we got seed money for that program, $500 million for this year, uh, and a commitment within that same budget for conversations to achieve a billion dollars per year for the next 10 years in order to continue providing money so that a program can sustain on its own, similar to the way CalFHA works for some of its down payment assistance programs for those making 80% of the area median income. We also were able to achieve money in CalHome, mm -hmm. which creates owner-occupied uh, housing through groups like Habitat for Humanity, which all of our members absolutely love in helping us to, to bridge that ladder from uh, rental housing to uh, a form of home ownership and then uh, eventually, obviously, giving them the, the next ladder to or stepping stone to home ownership housing. Uh, the programs over at CalHome have been underfunded significantly for the uh, uh, well last five years specifically. Uh, we were able to secure $350 million of funding to satisfy all of the programmatic uh, requests that they have had for projects throughout the state of California. These are all entitled and ready to go projects. Uh, we'll be seeing that money rolled out over the next two years. Lastly, within our budget uh, ask that we had had and, and, and achieved, we requested money for accessory dwelling unit construction for low and moderate income families to help lower interest rates and create a pool of financing. Uh, we were able to achieve $50 million that's over at CalFHA and available for families um, meeting, again, the income criteria of 150% of the AMI to create familial wealth opportunities and also to create that generational living environment. You had, um, just to go back to 2170, for, uh, you mentioned the concerns, increasing concerns of, over corporate ownership of single family homes. Is it fair to say that that's a bipartisan concern, that it's it goes to the spectrum on that issue? Absolutely. That measure, uh, we were able to obtain bipartisan uh, support across the board. We had no no votes on AB 2170. And there's actually um, a bigger concern is the, the members are now looking at what corporate ownership means to single family home ownership. California continues to see a reduction in the number of individuals uh, that are homeowners. Uh, it used to be predominantly between 60 and 65 percent nationwide that we had home ownership rates. California, we're getting to the point where it's almost 50 50 between renters and homeowners. And as we see more policies seeking to to favor investor owners, um, the legislature is starting to see a turn in that they want to help families be able to build their generational wealth, uh, which is a, a good sign for our members. It's a mm -hmm. good sign for their clients. Um, and we're going to have to to be diligent as we look for opportunities to make sure that we're putting families first over corporations. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm very happy to see that that kind of consensus where we had no opposition and, and true bipartisanship. It's refreshing to see. Um, one thing I also want to talk about is which made a lot of media attention recently were AB 2011 and SB 6. And if you could talk a little about, those are both bills that CAR supported. Um, if you could talk a little about those. They were. SB 6, I have to say, um, was one of those sleeper issues as, as my colleague brought up zombie bills that come back. Adaptive reuse has been a conversation. Zombie in a good way, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> in this in, case. In, in this particular case, uh, it was zombie for the affordable housing developers. And it was one of those amazing opportunities for, for the realtors and their clients. Um, the bill actually, SB 6, had been on the agenda last year. Sierra was very instrumental in moving the bill from the Senate to the Assembly. Uh, unfortunately, the Assembly Housing Chair at the time had decided to hold the bill because there was an inner house 
um, conflict over where we go with housing between the Senate and the Assembly. Uh, um, as many of our viewers may not know, um, the houses aren't always aligned in, the, in their vision. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time for them to, to find their way through and to find compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this particular case, SB6, uh, we continued to work with the sponsors throughout the winter. Um, and, and eventually uh, there was uh, suddenly a bright path forward over this summer uh, once Assemblymember Buffy Wicks had introduced AB 2011 and the Assembly now had a housing package that they wanted to advance. Um, the adaptive reuse concern or, or concept has been around for a very long time where we change commercial structures into residential, either investment for for rental mm-hmm. or into ownership with respect to condos. Um, Sierra's priority obviously is to, to get condos built for families uh, so that we have uh, more missing middle housing being developed. Also, we're see, we've seen a change since COVID where commercial space isn't necessarily being used to its highest and best use. We'd like to see uh, commercial property owners be able to change the use of those parcels to um, either improve their basis line for, from uh, profits or to be able to get out of the commercial business without causing damage to their own their own financial gains. Um, SB6 specifically looks at working with local governments to do adaptive reuse in existing commercial structures. So we're talking about strip malls, uh, as well as other uh, commercial structures, warehouses uh, that are abandoned due to, to reorganizations of, of corporations or reorganizations of companies that are no longer needing warehouse space and changing those buildings into to residential use. Essentially, what SB6 does is it allows you to use the existing CEQA uh, reports from the local government in order to change the use of those parcels under their existing general plan. AB 2011 is a little bit different, which was authored by Assemblymember Wicks. Uh, It seeks to create a buy-right opportunity for uh, multifamily and commercial spaces that are much larger in space. Uh, We did seek amendments early on to make sure that they were not going to change fundamentally are single family zones. So those are single family one to four parcels or one to four zone parcels. So for our, our members listening, those are the R1 to R4 uh, areas within the state. This bill allows by right provided these are already zoned for commercial or multifamily. So you'll get a dual, dual zoning for them. If the uh, the project that is being planned uh, is consistent with the existing planning and zoning, you can get by right approvals or what we call fast tracked approvals. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the local governments. But again, it still has to fit within their zoning and planning um, and it has to fit within the look and feel of the community. I think what's important to remember that was a really big deal in both SB6 and 2011. The uh, authors worked together brilliantly in the process to make sure that they had complementary pieces of legislation. And I think what also is important to remember is the bills will create both deed-restricted housing on the rental and ownership side, but it will also create market rate housing. And the creation of market rate housing is really something that we need as we see these these continued pressures on on prices within the state of California. It's interesting. Afterwards, I saw Assemblymember Wicks, I believe, on a TV station saying, and now this is great, but now we got to build the housing. And that's what I guess I hope we see. Uh, we, it seems like we are passing a lot of bills that do make it easier and more cost effective to build housing. But it seems challenging still to actually get it built. Um. It, it is. And I don't think that any any of the bills that I've talked about are civil bullets to the housing crisis. We're right. going to continue seeing this problem. And, and similar to my colleague who has been fighting COPA legislation, we've been seeing increasing pressures for conversion of single family one to four parcels into corporate ownership, um, either by nonprofits or by investors. 
Um, and we've also seen uh, issues related to uh, build to rent where we're no right. longer allowing homeowners that first opportunity to get in our entry level housing, the 800 to 1400 square foot homes. Um, those are being taken off the market before they even hit. And that's going to be a concern. I think that yeah. our members are going to increasingly face in the new housing stock that's being built. Jennifer, can you talk about some of the bad bills that were out there this year that you had to work hard to defeat? There were quite a, a number of bills that that sought to uh, allow government financing to convert single family homes. There's there's issues with joint powers authorities being granted authorities uh, to purchase single family homes using uh, bond funds generated by the people. I think the idea behind JPAs is that we're going to build new housing and not necessarily convert it, the mm-hmm. existing housing and move the deck chairs. Um, the other thing that we had seen this year uh, was a, a a new wave of housing authorities being developed using state authority. SB 1105 and SB 679 were introduced uh, within the, this last two-year session in order to authorize housing agencies to initiate taxes and bonds in order to fund affordable housing construction, which are deed-restricted and funded by the voters. The major problem that we had seen is not uh, the fact that they were trying to create these new housing agencies. The problem was that they were levying the entire cost of these agencies on homeowners. So the uh, SB 1105 proposed seven different taxes and a bonding authority, all placed on either business, small businesses or on uh, homeowners. And Sierra's always had a position that using housing to pay for housing is just not an accurate Mm-hmm. Um, way to to fund programs. Also, it it forces more ind- individuals to no longer qualify for housing. Every dollar that you add to a transaction disqualifies people from achieving uh, the ability to close their escrows. We all, when we're buying, uh, stretch as far as we absolutely can. SB 679 was a little bit more measured as it uh, only had three taxes in it. But again, all three of those taxes were aimed at the single family home and using homeowners to pay for Uh, pay for these housing programs. The other problem with SB 679 is it was duplicative in the local jurisdiction. Um, Unlike SB 1105, which was a little bit different, SB 1105 did not require a vote of the population in order to impose taxes. SB 679 does have a vote requirement of the electorate and those being taxed in order to fund its activities. Um, Sierra was very successful in defeating SB 1105 as it was um, noted in the analysis to be a very complicated, uh, expensive endeavor being created in San Diego. SB 679, however, had a myriad of co-authors on it. Uh, and while it was a duplicative agency, all of the affected areas, uh, assembly members and state senators all signed on as co-authors, which made it a much harder bill for us to be able to defeat as what we call a district bill. District bills are only focused in a very specific area within the state of California. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more and more of these bills, especially because there was most recently a, a, Supreme, a California court case which said that um, if it's put on the ballot by an initiative, it only requires a majority vote to put these types of onerous taxes on homeowners, whereas it used to require a two-thirds vote. It still requires a two-thirds vote if government does it, but now it's a simple majority if it's put on by initiative by a non-governmental group. Um, even though there can be some degree of coordination there. And that's especially concerning for us because, as you mentioned, that the burdens to homeowners are going to just multiply and make it harder and harder for people to actually get into the housing market. And that's a, that's of enormous concern to us. Obviously, we support housing, but it, as you said, it shouldn't be on the backs of homeowners. It makes no sense because housing is a social good. 
Absolutely. I'd also like to note um, the the difference in being able to defeat the legislation is significant. SB 1105, the author had seen an opportunity to introduce the bill, but didn't have any local stakeholder conversations about the bill. And that was one of the other reasons that SB 1105 did not move forward. Uh, CAR, uh, in coordination with the local associations that would have been affected, um, were very effective in in pointing out and lobbying their local elected supervisors to not support the bill. There was no local support apart from one supervisor for SB 1105. Conversely, SB 679 was supported by hundreds of organizations in LA, including their elected officials down there. And I think the the difference is that that a Senator Comlogger really did spend a few years having stakeholder meetings. And I think it's mm-hmm. important for our members and listeners to remember if you're hearing about something on the local level that, that could result in statewide legislation being introduced, it's important to get involved early and often. I'm going to talk to both of you individually about this. You both talked about bills you've had to defeat as well as to try to move forward. Akreem, you touched on it when you were speaking earlier, but can you talk about um, the degree to how member mobilization helps. Oh, sure. Uh, member mobilization is key. Uh, it really is. And I think that's one thing uh, that we should be very proud of at CAR is that um, our members, we have a very, very sophisticated membership. Uh, and I think our members would be surprised when I talk to uh, my peers at other organizations, uh, either in the real estate or in the in the housing space, um, their members are not as sophisticated. Uh, their members have hammers and all they see are nails. Whereas our membership is very sophisticated and they realize that we have many tools in the toolbox. And so, you know, one particular bad proposal, it may require a red alert, like mm-hmm. the uh, bills that would have undermined the Ellis Act that I mentioned earlier, AB 854 and AB 2050, both those bills were defeated with the help of red alerts. Uh, but then you have another bill, uh, for instance, AB 2710, uh, that particular bill that I mentioned, that was the uh, the statewide COPA bill that would have prohibited housing providers uh, from selling their property on the open market before uh, it would have uh, precluded um, uh, uh, housing providers from selling their property mm-hmm. unless they first offered it to those nonprofit housing corporations throughout the state. We defeated that on legislative day. Our members defeated that on legislative day, and that right. was very vital. Um, and then you have another instance where you have a bill, just as an example, there are many of them, but AB 2597 uh, by Assemblymember Bloom, uh, that particular proposal would have made lack of cooling in rental housing right. a substandard condition, which on the face of things sounds fine, but the practical effect of that would have been that housing providers, particularly small housing providers, would have been burdened because they would have had to install costly AC units. Yeah, even um, when not necessary. Yes, right. pr- precisely. And we were able to defeat that bill, and that bill was just defeated um, uh, by uh, by uh, advocacy up here in the Capitol, uh, just one-on-one staff talking to staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are many tools in the toolbox, and that's what's so great about our realtor membership is that they understand that there are many tools in the toolbox, and they're very sophisticated in that sense. And so um, member mobilization is key, uh, and it helped, as I mentioned, with those Ellis Act bills. And Jennifer, you mentioned both those housing authorities. I believe both bills required a member mobilization effort. Can you talk a little about uh, those bills? They did. Quite frankly, the the member mobilization uh, that we had on those particular bills was was key to our being able to defeat SB 1105. Um, prior to our engagement, those bills were sailing through the legislature, uh, and and quite frankly, they were. Uh, they were likely to pass with bipartisan support. Uh, there were Republicans that actually had supported it in its uh, initial vote within the Senate. There was 29 I votes. Uh, SB 11, or that was for SB 679. SB 1105's vote was about the same. 
uh, we have to remember for our, our listeners that the it's 29 votes out of 40 uh, within the Senate. So <laughs> yeah. it's that's a lot. That's that's a super majority right there. Um, and that that's problematic. But uh, with the enactment of the red alerts, we saw a significant change where SB 1105 went from uh, see, receiving quite a lot of support within the Senate to all of a sudden in the assembly. It had a very rough ride when we got to the assembly local government committee. Um, the author was not very particularly happy with us for showing up to oppose this bill. He also was not particularly happy as we started working members of the legislature. Um, SB 679, uh, which came out with that same vote, was totally different. It probably would have gone through with a two-thirds supermajority. Uh, the bill barely got out of the assembly uh, floor. Mm-hmm. It, it passed with 42 votes. Um, the interesting thing is on the Senate side, uh, the bill was held on call for eight hours. We almost had it. It was very, very close. Our members in key contacts deserve... Uh, major accolades for their activity and availability to the lobbyists and and responding so quickly when we would get intel. Um, That bill passed with just 21 votes to get off the floor. Um, I've been told from other housing advocates that we have the uh, the platinum standard of of member involvement and activity. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, other organizations would love to use what they call our tools. They try to find legislation that encourages that that will inspire us enough to be able to put our resources behind their legislation. Um, I have assured individuals that we use them sparingly and only <laughs> as needed because that's what makes them most effective. Yeah. And I, and I think our members do understand that even on those bills where we mobilize and lose at times, it still makes it clear that it's a fight. Yes. And that's extremely important for any future legislation that somebody might consider in the same space where we oppose is the understanding that, OK, this is going to be a fight. Am I going to is this worth it? Is this maybe there's a way I can reach some sort of compromise or work out something here because one of the things and this is not always true of all groups i've noticed is that i know both of you will always talk there is always an opportunity to talk we will always try to to meet with somebody and and see if there's some way we can reach some sort of accord or resolve something it's not like we're just going to close the door ever on something so um, that's one thing about these sort of efforts even if they're losing efforts at times um they they kind of throw down the marker is the way I see it. It's like you throw down a marker that you try this again. You, 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 maybe you, you eked it through this time, but next time it's going to be, you might be able to beat <laughs> it's us gonna once, be a struggle. But, but it's going to be harder to beat us twice. <laughs> I'm right. And that's especially important. I think given what we, as opposed to some other business groups, we have a wide range of interests. So we're going to have a lot of members who agree with us passionately on some aspect of our, right. of what we believe in and might disagree with us strongly on another and as long as we can work together on what we have in common, if as long as people don't take it too personally that when we oppose them, uh, that that's why that's a strategy. And I guess you can call it that that works for us is to to always keep that door open. Because, again, unlike a lot of these business interests, we're we have a lot, a lot of wider range than a lot of uh, other other industries. Well, I think I would note a lot of other organizations are very shocked with the number of lobbyists that CAR has because it improves mm-hmm. our effectiveness because we don't have contract lobbyists. We have subject matter experts. Um, there there are many of us that, that work on a variety of issues for the organization. And we also right. have different relationships with the legislators, which are also able to help to bridge those gaps when a legislator does get a little bit upset with one of us. Well, also, you just mentioned you, you know, where maybe they're not as happy with you, but they're like, oh, Jennifer, good to see you. Well, <laughs> welcome. Come on in. <laughs> so, you know, that does help uh, to have many faces in a way to uh, different people who can work with uh, different members. Um, challenges, opportunities for next year. Let's start with Kareem. Sure. 
Um, I think uh, one of the challenges next year that we'll see is the two categories that I mentioned earlier. I think we'll see another batch of zombie bills. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they will manifest themselves, you know, similar to the the bills that I mentioned earlier in terms of another statewide rental registry bill that could be on the agenda. So I think we will see those types of proposals. And I think we'll also see more bad ideas bubbling up from the local level. Um, so I think that will continue, those types of bills will continue to pose challenges for us. Uh, but again, we were largely successful in our efforts this year to defeat those proposals. So I think mm-hmm. we just have to remain vigilant. Um, in terms of opportunity, I think there's massive opportunity to continue our efforts, uh, not only here at the Capitol, but also throughout the state. Uh, Realtors that meet with their legislators in the district, uh, that is such a vital part of this. Um, Because just to give you an example, uh, four key uh, bad policy proposals uh, that we successfully defeated this year were defeated in the Assembly Housing and Community Development Committee. And that particular committee at least on investment housing issues, is typically not friendly to us. And yet we were able to defeat four key bad proposals in Mm -hmm. that committee. That's right. And the reason for that is because the ongoing education that we're doing of the members of those uh, committees, not just staff, but realtors meeting with those legislators uh, in their districts, um, that's an an ongoing massive opportunity. And we need to keep taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, And so certainly encourage members watching, uh, keep meeting with your legislators, keep talking to them about the plight of small housing providers, um, and keep talking about them to them about the issues that matter to you, uh, because that's what's key, continuing that process year in and year out of that ongoing education. Yeah, and you raise a, a very good point, especially in light of the fact that we're actually going to be seeing major turnover in the legislature, both this year and in two years, partly as a result of the term limits we have in California, as well as just there's been <laughs> the great resignation also affected the legislature. It's, it's not just uh, the private sector. Uh, so we've had a lot of movement. And so a lot of these are, in a sense, new opportunities for relationships to be made. And it is very important that our members go out there and, and meet um, the members of the legislature and get to know them. Uh, Jennifer, opportunities, concerns for next year. Well, one of my concerns is the major changeover in the legislature throughout <laughs> this this particular term. Uh, we did see, and I, I heard this anecdotally, so it, it may be not 100% accurate. We, we saw 20 special elections. Mm-hmm. So we saw uh, 20 seats change this year as to who was representing them, which is why my colleague's conversation about or, or, or imploring our, our listeners to reach out to their uh, newly elected legislators is so vitally important mm-hmm. to the organization's effectiveness. I think that's one of the beautiful things about our organization is that Um, We do work together at the state and local level uh, to facilitate the same ends. I think that um, from the opportunities perspective, we're looking at um, other sources to maybe be repurposed into the uh, California Dream for All program, which is the new equity sharing down payment assistance program. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking to streamline the use of existing programs within the state of California. Um, The Department of Housing and Community Development um, is is being targeted at this point um, as having maybe too much delegated authority from the state legislature. Hmm. That's a new concern that's arisen within the last few weeks um, as the result of some of the the lack of rulemaking requirements that have been placed into statute that some legislators um, weren't weren't quite aware of. They they thought that the legislation read differently than it does. The Administrative uh, Procedures Act requires public input. Uh, into regulatory development and they're finding now that HCD has been given the opportunity to develop regulations without that input. Those regulations Mm -hmm. are not as effective um, and they're actually losing resources and it's costing them more money and time in order to implement policies in an effective manner. In addition to that, um, uh, 
we stumbled upon last year uh, a trend that we were unaware of in uh, inclusionary zoning. Uh, while Sierra will always oppose, or not always, depending on our board of directors, um, Sierra has always opposed inclusionary zoning in the past. Um, we continue to oppose inclusionary zoning. However, those units that are built within a single family development, I believe there's always been an assumption by everybody in the industry that those would be occupied by, by families of low and moderate income that meet the income thresholds um, in San Diego last year. Uh, right, in a, Encinitas, correct? Correct. Right. There was a, a lawsuit and a lot of news stories about um, single uh, single moms as well as those residing within ethnic communities being denied the opportunity to own these homes in, in San Diego. Uh, buying a home for $125,000 is unheard of, but this would get their their foot in the door um, to, to help them um, potentially create a down payment for maybe later by putting um, hard cost investments into these homes. Right. Unfortunately, the developer petitioned after the development was constructed to allow investors to purchase these units. So the 80 individuals that had qualified and submitted to buy these units um, were left out uh, in the cold and not able to actually purchase the units as they went to investor ownership instead. And now they are being rented out to families that qualify for the incomes, which is not necessarily the same. I think that the concern that I have going forward is constantly seeing this moving of the deck chairs and and instead of building new housing, we're seeing them want to convert housing from market rate ownership to corporate ownership. And we're going to continue seeing that pervasive trend, uh, as well as this this concern that's going to be growing. We've heard anecdotally that the developers of single family homes within the state of California, based upon the market conditions of uh, rising costs to construct homes, as well as rising interest rates, um, are likely to cut their production in half next year is what we had heard recently. We're also obviously um, increasingly concerned when we keep hearing about um, the the rent to own scape, uh, landscape as you're not seeing properties go on the market, um, which again, um, the market constriction that we see just serves to increase housing prices, even in having uh, these high interest rates. And that's really causing a problem for for all of our listeners as well as for their clients. And that's a concern we'll continue to look at. Right. And I, the one I guess hopeful thing I see on the home ownership front is it does seem fair to say that the legislature, people seem to be understanding that the lack of these home ownership opportunities is particularly damaging to the more diverse state that we are now, that basically home ownership opportunities that existed for, you know, generations of California and which has created an enormous amount of wealth among that middle class is now being taken away just as our state becomes incredibly diverse. And uh, that that's that that's a problem. <laughs> that's a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> okay, so any last words, Kareem, Jennifer? <laughs> um, I think you know I, I would just uh, conclude just by saying, in terms of you know some of the things that we've touched on, for instance, we have new legislators coming in. Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing that I would really say uh, to realtors that are listening and watching that are in districts that may see uh, new legislators uh, after election day mm -hmm. uh, would be to, in terms of approaching that new legislator, uh, treat new legislators the same way you treat new clients. Um, you know, you're not only helping them uh, uh, facilitate a, a real estate transaction, but you also keep in touch with them throughout the year during the holidays, on their birthdays. You invite them to community events, et cetera. And so uh, really, with respect to new legislators, don't just meet with them when you're asking for a vote, but mm -hmm. meet with them and, and, and you know, meet with them, uh, you know, in their community events and, and invite them and engage with them throughout the year so that when you do ask for that critical vote that's going to protect your business, they're more inclined to listen and they're more inclined to vote your way. Thanks, Kareem. Jennifer? 
I don't know how I follow that up. Um, that's so poignant to, to our ability to be effective within the halls of the legislature. Those those personal relationships are the difference between um, being effective in the halls of the legislature um, or or not. And and it's those relationships that that we call on in our member mobilization campaigns and and why the partnership between um, us and our local members is so strong. Yeah, and and I think it's also important for members to realize that despite the the polarized times that we live in, even if it's a, a legislator who you might not agree with or maybe not a member of your political party, legislators are happy to talk to people even if they're different views on a lot of issues. It's not that kind of polarized environment that you actually might be seeing on social media. They, they're willing to talk. They're willing to engage. It can be very pleasant conversations, and it's always good to to share your perspective and the realtor perspective on things. All right. Thank you, Kareem. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.